Hello, everybody, and welcome to tonight's edition of Dub Talk Racing. Now, before things get started, let's go over the rules of the race. Number one, the podcast you are about to listen to may contain strong language and content. Viewer discretion is advised. Second, the episode of this podcast may contain spoilers for the entirety of the film Redline, as well as potential spoilers for any other anime. So please be aware if you haven't finished them. And lastly, the views and opinions expressed here are those of the individual participants, and do not reflect those of the Dunk Talk podcast as a whole. Alright folks, and with that, the races are off. We've got Jet Dastardly speeding up past Roots Perfect and Queen Pit Pitstop. Will this finally be the year he takes the race? <laughs> the race is mine! But first, let's get rid of all those pesky racers so they don't get in the way. Classy! Fire the missiles! <laughs> what are you doing, you fool? You just set the car on fire! Oh, well, folks, it looks like we might be having some technical difficulties. Uh, so while we go pick up Dead Sassily's ashes for the road, please enjoy the following podcast. Hello, and welcome to Dub Talk, where a group of friends come together to talk about English dubs, both old and new. My name's Jet, and I'm joined today by my buddy, Lack the Watcher. Hello. And uh, we're here to kick off Dub Talk's annual summer at the movies, where we discuss English dubs for anime films. Of course, you can't really start off summer movies without a good popcorn blockbuster, so we're here to talk about Redline. Um, well, if you haven't seen Redline, and I mean, like, really, who hasn't seen Redline at this point? It's been around for basically forever at this point. Well, here's a shocker. I've only seen Redline because we had to do this episode now. <laughs> okay, well, don't feel too bad. Like, I have seen Redline, but I didn't finish it until we had to do it for this episode. Yeah, well, I, I just... I know there's going to be people who are listening to this and are like, really? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so if you don't know what Redline's about, uh, just taking this synopsis from ANN. Uh, every five years, a race called Red Line is held in a surprise location, shortly revealed before the race begins. This time, it's being held on Robo World, much to the dismay of Robo World's militant government, which has no intention of allowing the race to proceed. The race has no rules. Whoever crosses the Red Line first wins. Sweet JP is a rare breed of racer who prefers retro style and raw power over high tech gadgets and weaponry. Troubled by their involvement with the mob, Sweet JP and his team just want a clean shot at winning the race. Uh, Sonic C. McLaurin is a skilled and highly competitive rising star in the ranking circuit. Uh, she beat JP in the last qualifier at Kana's Eye. Up against, Le up against lethal hostility from Rebel World's government and their fellow racers, JP and Sonic C. are put to their limits in the race for Redline. Uh, but uh, basically, you don't really need to care about any of that. It's just like racing happens. Like this is not a movie you really come to for the plot. Yeah, TLDR. It's the most expensive speed racer fanfic ever made. Uh, I was thinking more a lot of lines of wacky racers, but speed racer was also a very good fit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Koike was inspired by speed racer for this or, or Mach Go Go Go. Oh, so. uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that would make sense, totally. <laughs> yeah, uh, but of course, as with uh, basically any 
dub, you can't have a dub without, you know, some ADR stuff. So we're going to start with our director and our scriptwriter, who fortunately happened to be one of the same for this film. And they are in the form of one Alex Von David, a little indie director who's done some stuff you probably, I don't think it's stuff anyone's heard of, uh, Sword Art Online, uh, something called Durara, uh, Toradora, you know, yeah, small stuff. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, do you have any thoughts, Wack? Uh, Regarding the dub, um, I would say I, I I appreciate how, in spite of how it's like insane, might be a little over the top, but how flamboyant and like extra, I guess this movie was. That Alex von David really tried to get very sincere, very grounded performances out of his actors. I I really appreciate that a lot of, uh, about it. I, I think. Everyone was cast very well, and I think the best part about the cast was the fact that, you know, in spite of the fact that how just, like, a visual feast this film is, the the performances reflected a humanity to the characters that helped a lot, it helped a lot in grounding the, the film. Because if you had just had these actors just being as crazy and just like, <laughs> you know, as as the movie is, it would be exhausting. You know, and, and you've got these these little moments where you feel like you're actually watching people, e even the more absurd, like dog-looking people or, or troll-looking people. You, you get these sincere performances and these real-sounding people, and it really helps to keep this film that would be like just like like over sensitizing in any other way but it manages to keep it just under obnoxious mm. oh, okay uh that's uh definitely not quite the thing i had but i can definitely understand that i did i did think there were like a few really good quiet moments in the movie but like i was mostly just personally kind of here for like the sheer adrenaline uh, like, this is basically just the kind of movie that sort of, like, bleeds cool, and it has a general aesthetic that's kind of a really easy sell to Westerners, so it really needed a dub that could kind of capitalize on those elements and make something that sounds both natural and English and is, like, just really popped up and over the top, and, um, fortunately, Alex Von David is the guy who gave us the Kill a Kill dub, so it goes without saying that he's pretty well-versed in adrenaline. And uh, even though this dub does simply predate that one by, like, a couple yeah. of years, uh, it's pretty easy to see how you expect for this. Uh, the overall direction of this dub, it's kind of bursting the room of energy, and I'd say basically everyone here is really bringing their A-game for this dub, and it sounds like they're having a lot of fun with this, which it helps make the movie feel a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah. Look, 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 don't get me wrong, this movie's dumb, <laughs> but... <laughs> I, I just appreciate the fact that the actors didn't just try and, like, try to out, like, out extra this already extra film. Oh, oh, so, uh, yeah, 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 if they went too over the top, but it would, it would break the illusion, so. Yeah. It, it would just make the film, like, uh, there's nothing really to grasp onto here. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, going on to the script real fast, uh, it does kind of help that the script is sort of burst with a same level of energy, and, um, 
As is kind of expected with a lot of the stuff he does, Alex Von David isn't afraid to get a little crude when helping to sell the material. And which means, you know, we get plenty of swearing, which you would kind of expect with this kind of film, you know, the occasional left bomb, and a lot of really good one-liners. Now, one of my favorites being a little bit in the beginning where, like, they have a little, like, weird animation change where you see, like, a family just sitting around watching one of the races. And the, like, and the mom just literally says something he can do. Violence is the only thing that makes me hot anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, yeah, there was a lot of, like, one-liners in this dub that you can really appreciate. Yeah, so uh, that more or less tells you, like, what level of silliness this film was operating on, so... Uh, so it's pretty good stuff. I mean, I'm sure I could find something to nitpick if I tried hard enough, but for what this movie is going for, this was pretty much the perfect dub for it, and... The, there's no way to keep up with this movie enough to be able to nitpick it, honestly, so... <laughs> oh, yeah, like... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I re like, again, this is the sort of thing where it's like, you could scrutinize the thing if you really try, but there's kind of not much point to doing that. God, can you imagine, like, being on cocaine watching this film? You'd, you'd lose your mind. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and with that, I guess we're good to move on to characters, because there are actually a lot of them, surprisingly. Uh. Oh my god, there's so much plot to this film. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like, you know, you saying that, it just made me think, my god, there's so much going on in this movie. <laughs> uh, sometimes a little too much, but yeah. Uh, so for our first group of characters, uh, we had some of our racers. Uh, we have Gory Rider, Todoroki, presumably no relation to Best Boy Natsuko from My Hero Academia. You may fire all your arrows at me, Andrew. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and his partner, Miki. Uh, Todoroki and Miki are a pair of Japanese racers who got into red line thanks to a popularity vote. While Gory Rider is a dirty top who made his way to the racing scene because, well, why the heck not? Uh, so for... Uh, play Gory Rider, we have one George C. Cole, who you might know for such roles as Wamu in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Dr. Isaac Gilmore in 009 Re-Cyborg, and McMurdo Morrison in Mobile Suit Gundam Iron Blooded Orphans. Uh, Todoroki is played by Kota Garcia, who's mostly done bit roles, with his only other named role being uh, Kenta Hagiwara from Figure 17. And lastly, uh, Miki is played by Sam Regal, who you might know for such roles as Shiro Emiya from the 2016 version of Saint Fate Night, uh, Mephisto Feelings from Blue Exorcist, and Phoenix Wright for the new Ares Attorney games. So, uh, did you have any thoughts on these three? Well, my thoughts on the movie itself, I just realized how this entire cast sounds like characters from My Hero Academia. <laughs> Oh god! If, totally if you really look, if you really look at the names, like they all sound like characters from My Hero Academia. Oh man, they totally do. Gory Rider, I mean, like, um, okay, well, we're starting off with three characters who aren't really in the film all that much, honestly. Um, but for uh, like, um, Paul St. Peter, I've always loved his voice. I always think he he has a really cool voice and. Uh, for the, I, I do remember him. I, I, like, for the few scenes that he was in, I thought he was very memorable. Like, when he's trying to, like, pr like uh, dissuade the paparazzi that he's, like, banging his oh, oh, uh, co-pilot oh, oh, or something. Oh, oh, he was totally banging her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
Todoroki and Miki were a little less so memorable, honestly, but that's because we're about to talk about two other characters who were a little more memorable. Um, but I like Sam Regal. I no offense to Cutter Garcia, I don't really know him, but clearly he hasn't done that much. So, um, but yeah, I, I they they attacked the base, right? They tried to infiltrate the base. Um, I, I... Uh, no, that would be uh, part of the next pair we're getting to. Okay, sorry about that. Um, yeah, don't, don't feel too bad again. There are a lot of characters that it is hard to keep up with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I did see this like a week ago. So, um, I, yeah, Gory Rider's really the only one who stood out for me, but I don't think that's really the fault of Cutter Garcia and Sam Regal. I think it's more just they had characters that really weren't that memorable and didn't do that much in the film. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of my simple thoughts on these pretty simple characters. Honestly. Um, yeah, uh, my thoughts are more or less the same. Um, yeah, I'd say George was the one who stood out to me the most just because, like, that was a more memorable character design. And just, like, I guess the whole concept of, like, a corrupt cop being in a, being in a high-speed race for some reason is just kind of a funny concept in and of itself. And, um, yeah, but, uh, he didn't get a whole ton to do, but for the few seasons with it, he was pretty fun. And again, he, 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 he was totally spazzing and assistant. You know he was. Um, as for, uh, Todoroki and Miki, uh, yeah, I didn't really have too many thoughts on Kodoro Garcia either. He didn't really stand out to me too much, but there also wasn't anything in his performance that I could really complain about, so I guess that kind of bounces out. Uh, Sam Regal as Miki was a little more memorable for me just because, like, just because for pretty much every scene he was in, he was swearing a lot, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh... <laughs> You know, you know what's interesting? His the other character Sam Regal played stood out to me more. The uh, when he when he plays the uh, uh, restaurant owner. I was like, oh, 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 yeah, that was him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he do he double played in this one, and that character actually stood out to me more because I just I think that scene was more memorable. So I don't know. Oh yeah. So. Okay. Uh. Alright, I guess uh, there really isn't too much to part with these characters, so I guess we'll just move on to the next ones. Uh, for our next group of racers, we have uh, Boy Boy and Boss Boss. God, I'm never going to be able to pronounce those names correctly. As well as uh, Lynchman and Johnny Boya. Uh, so Boy Boy and Boss Boss are a pair of pop idols, also known as the Super Boys. Uh, while Lynchman and Johnny Boya are a pair of intergalactic bounty hunters. Who may or may who for some reason that's really reminded me quite a bit of Muttley, uh, Muttley and Dick Dastardly from Wacky Races. I don't know why. Just there's just something about that. I can see that. I I can see that. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, playing Boy Boy, we have Lauren Landa for Boss Boss. We have Laura Post uh, for Lynchman. We have John White, and for Johnny Boya, we have David Rouge. Uh, Lauren Landa has played such characters as Nora from Noragami, uh, Kyoko Sakura from Kuala Magi Madoka Magica, and Annie Leonhard from Attack on Titan. Uh, Laura Post, you'll know for such characters as Deanna Cavendish from Little Witch Academia, Kari, Minakari Kawamoto from March Comes In Like a Lion, and good old best mom Rago Kirwin from Kill a Kill who did basically everything wrong. Uh, John White, you'll know mostly for his roles using another name. 
Uh, but you've heard him play such characters as Ryotaro Dojima for Persona 4, the animation, uh, Cyborg 007 from 009 Re-Cyborg, and Silat from Berserk, the Golden Age movie tree. Uh, lastly, David Roach is also largely known for his role using another name. So much so that this is the only credit he has under this name. Uh, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, uh, because we at Dub Talk are professionals, I'm not going to say exactly who this person is. But he may or may not sound extremely similar to the world's prettiest serial killer from Monster. And, you know, that one really flamboyant murder clown, Antunani. Uh, so, yeah, he, he's that guy, maybe. And best, <laughs> and best boy in JoJo. Ah, uh, yes. Is it, which best boy? It's up to you. You, you, you know which one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, did you have any thoughts on these four? Um, Boy Boy and Bospo stood out to me the most, and I think the, uh, the one of the things I liked about their dynamic is that uh, Alex Von David seemed to clearly pick two voice actresses who sound distinctive from one another, and he didn't need to do that necessarily, and he did, and I think that was a good idea. Because you could easily just have one actress play both these roles, and it just wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't really change that much. But the fact that he chose Laura Post, who's known for her more deep, you know, voices, and Lauren Landa, who's, well, she does have a deep voice too, but she also often uses a higher-pitched voice. And the fact that they're so distinctive in, like, their tones in this, I think really helped a lot. Um... Lynchman and Johnny Boya, um, not so much stood out to me, to be honest. Uh, I do remember hearing David Roach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I didn't know we, we didn't like to talk about their real names, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I, I do remember hearing David Roach in the role of Johnny Boya. Um, they were the ones who invaded the, uh, a, a, the yeah, was station. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. Um, yeah, they had a little fun back and forth in that scene. Uh, that was kind of really their only big scene, though, from what I remember, right? Um, uh, yeah, that was pretty much more or less it. Yeah. Uh, they actually had a little more screen time than Boy Boy and Boss Boss, honestly. But, um, yeah, no, everybody sounded fine here. You know, uh, John White and David Roach, I think, are two fantastic actors. Uh, I think they... And I think they fit these roles well. Um, granted, it wasn't a, a huge role for either of them, but I think they did their job fine. And like I said, with Boy Boy and Boss Boss, they, they both were... They, I like the fact that they sounded so different, and it helped to distinguish the characters a little more. So... Cool. Uh, as for me, I am... As someone who's uh, pretty familiar with Lord Landa and very familiar with Laura Post... I gotta say that, like, personally, these are some of the last characters I'd expect those two to play. I mean, like, Gertz and both have a pretty solid vocal range that they could do, like, bubbly characters pretty well, but, uh, it's so hard to associate with them with, like, in the movie's own words, like, this is somehow the movie's own words, girls who look like cosplayers from a porno. Uh, anyway, uh, these ladies... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's not wrong, but... <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, they, they served as a good counterbalance against, uh, against, uh, Sonoshi, kinda, cause you've got the Sonoshi who kinda just keeps to herself, 
is very introverted. She doesn't really like to talk to people so much. And then you've got Boy Boy and Bosmos, who are two girls who just love to show themselves off. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, these ladies basically had one job to do here, and it was to, you know, sound bubbly and basically dripping with as much sex appeal as humanly possible, and... I thought they uh, more or less nailed it, and I had no trouble buying these two as pop stars. I mean, I don't have like a whole ton to say that this isn't the kind of film you come to for the characters necessarily, and these two didn't really do a whole ton, but I appreciate that like you said, Lauren and Laura sounded pretty distinct from each other, and you could definitely tell who was who, with Laura definitely having a much more high-pitched and energetic voice, while... Laura sounded a little deeper and slightly more grounded, which, you know, kind of makes sense for what roles he's generally known for. But I thought that made for a pretty nice contrast. Uh, moving on to John White and David Roach as Lunchman and Johnny. Uh, well, these two didn't really have, like, a whole ton to do either. And I everyone here, they felt the most like they belonged in an episode of Wacky Races, like I said before. And uh, it hopes that Lunchman Gate, that... John gave Lynchman a very distinct kind of Saturday morning cartoon villain sort of voice that really just kind of made me wonder how this guy operates in law enforcement as a bounty hunter. But, uh, but again, I guess this isn't the kind of film you really speculate on that too much. You just kind of roll with it. And uh, likewise, I thought David did a pretty good job of playing like the dumb sidekick. And while his voice wasn't like quite as distinct as John's, I thought it still carried enough energy to just kind of match the overall tone of the dub. And I thought what really made the performance kind of work was seeing how much those two bounced off each other during that one scene where they were, you know, hijacking a space station to take off the space Nazis and, you know, clear things for the big race. And uh, the way they interacted or that whole little bit of sabotage probably, it helped paint a pretty good idea how they probably normally interact with each other. And I guess Lynchman is just kind of the brains of the outfit, I guess, and Johnny's just sort of like the dumb, the dumb sidekick. Um, I mean, I wish these two maybe could have had a little bit more to do, but for what we got, I thought they were pretty fun. Yeah. And I guess with that, uh, we can move on to the next group of characters who are a little more important to the film, slightly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so for our next group of characters, we have Trava and Shenkai, who both who both actually originated from a film called Trava First Planet, which was actually kind of the pilot for Red Lines, in a sense. That one I'm pretty sure I've seen, but it was like forever ago, and I don't really remember too much details from that film, but uh, Trava was the main character in that, so I guess that's kind of a fun little fact. And uh, we also have Little Dantana, a soldier from Robo World with a grudge against these two, who just kind of who kind of goes AWOL halfway through the film and joins the race for some reason. And uh, lastly, we have Machine Head Tetrigen, the current champion of Redline. Um, so playing Trafa, we have uh, Joey Morris for Shinkai. We have Tony Oliver uh, for Little Dazeda. We have Derek Stephen Prince. And for Tetrigen, we have one Michael McConaughey. Uh, Joey Morris doesn't really have any other notable anime credits with his only other named role being uh, Leo from the first squad, the Moment of Truth OVA. Uh, but Tony Oliver, on the other hand, has been in a lot of stuff and he's played such characters as Hibiki Tokai from Vandred, Lancer from Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Works, and Bat from the Fifth of the North Star movie. Uh, Derek Stephen Prince, you will know for his role in basically every dang iteration of Digimon. Uh, but specifically, he's played such characters as Hitmon from Digimon Tamers, 
Ryu Ishida for Bleach, and Phantom for Mayor Martin Awakens Romance. Uh, lastly, Michael McConaughey has played such characters as Jurgens for Rurika 7, Big Daddy for Gungrave, and Barta Leonis for The Seven Deadly Sins. So, uh, any thoughts on these characters? Uh, yeah. Um, most of these characters' big scene was the retro restaurant scene, from what I remember, correct? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think, like, little... I think Derek Stephan Prince character had, like, a little more to do throughout the film, but for the first two, it was mostly just, like, that bar scene. Yeah, and, uh... Tetsujin, who's kind of the main antagonist, sort of? I mean, it's, like... Not really, it, like, but... Like, it's either him or the space Nazis, but the show, but the film's kind of inconsistent with that, so... <laughs> yeah, it just kind of... Just, just kind of says, you know, we're not... We don't care anymore. Um... Uh, yeah, they they all they all were pretty fun. I don't remember Trava that well, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I don't feel too bad. I don't really either. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was like Trava. Who's Trava? <laughs> uh, Shinkai, I do kind of remember when he kind of comes up and talks to uh, when he talks to JP and uh, Sonoshi. Um, yeah, and Tony Oliver is always a strong like performance and he's got such a unique voice that it, it kind of fits right in to this kind of really craziness uh little di uh dizuna not so much with him he he doesn't really do that much um like he, he if i'm not mistaken he's kind of a lackey for tetsujin or am i wrong about as, as uh no like i said he was originally with robo world and then he just kind of like goes awol halfway through the movie for some reason okay that's right <laughs> yeah now i'm starting to remember this uh see only like jp and sanoshi's story kind of stuck with me honestly but and they're the main characters so i guess it's a good thing um but yeah uh, they, they were all good. They, I, I love hearing Michael McConaughey whenever I can, especially when he gets to play big bombastic villains. I think that's one of the reasons I love the Code Geass dub so much. Um, but, like, yeah, they, they all were really good. Um, I honestly remember them kind of less than Boy Boy and Bos Bos and Lynchman and John Boya. Um, but... Yeah, I, I think uh, Tetsu, Tetsu, uh, Tetsuzin, okay, Tetsuzin, I, I think he kind of, like, really came into his own near the end of the race, at the end of the movie, when he, they just kind of go over the top and, you know, this isn't even my final form kind of thing. Oh yeah, that whole climax was nuts. It, yeah, that's probably what bankrupted Madhouse, honestly. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I can definitely see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, the producers at Madhouse were just like, we're gonna lose so much money for this one damn scene. <laughs> All of them are having mental breakdowns, just crying in the bathrooms. <sighs> uh, um, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be making jokes like that. <laughs> Uh, I just, I just realized how bad the industry is right now. <laughs> I just realized making jokes like that probably isn't in the best. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, probably I not. apologize. I apologize. Um, but um, yeah, no, they were all fine, and, and I, I liked Tetsuzin. I thought he was a lot of fun near the end of the movie. Um, but honestly, I don't really have that much to say about them. So, you know. Yeah. Uh. 
I, uh, thankfully I do have a little bit more to say about these characters. Uh, well, okay, well, not so much, uh, Trava and Jinkai. Um, uh, for Trava, I haven't really heard of jo Joey Morris before this episode, which I guess makes sense since his only other anime credit is, like, from a decade ago, so... I can't really say he left too much of an impression on me, and it didn't help that Trava was kind of, like, in the background, but... I thought he sounded pretty fine. Uh, Tony Oliver Shinkai was a little bit more memorable because, uh, like you said, Tony Oliver has a pretty distinct voice. And it's always kind of fun seeing him in really goofy roles, so... I enjoyed his sort of, like, middle-aged dork kind of voice he gave to Shinkai that made him sound like a little bit of a goofball. And I kind of enjoyed that whole bit where he was, like, talking with Sanoshi, where he was, like, you know, giving the whole, like, exposition dump. And then in the end, he just kind of hits, he kind of tries to hit on her for some reason, and... Like, and that whole bit was pretty funny. Um, especially just how fast the shift was between, like, going from goofball to sleazebag. And, uh, unfortunately, even though Trappa and Jinkai are partners, I can't really say that those two got a whole lot of room to play off of each other. Uh, but I guess, uh, they did what they needed to, and I kind of liked how they bounced off of, uh, Derek Stefan Prince's Little Dejana. Uh, Michael McConaughey as Sessison was pretty fun, and... Uh, out of all the loud characters in this film, this guy was, like, clearly the heaviest, so I'm very glad they got the voice of Charles Z. Britannia to handle this. And, uh, Michael definitely brings the exact level of quality hand that he needs to for this. And, uh, he pretty much chews the scenery every time he speaks, so I very much appreciated that. And, uh, also, while the, we haven't gotten too much into the technical aspects of the dub, I gotta say I really liked the mixing they did on his voice. Uh, like, the metal robot sound was so distinct that if I wasn't, like, really familiar with Michael's voice, I actually might not have been able to tell it was him. Uh, they actually disguised it pretty well. Uh... Yeah, I forgot the kind of filter that they put on his voice. That was actually pretty cool. So... Oh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was really cool. Uh, I gotta say, I felt a little sorry for him during that whole film's climax, because... Like, all that screaming during the final run to the finish line must have been, like, a really big strain on his vocal cords, but I definitely appreciate the extra mile he went with that. <laughs> nah, if anybody can handle it, he can. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, uh, personally, though, the one I'm really here to talk about in this section is actually Derek Stephen Prince's little Dezina, because, uh, for me, this was probably the most fun character in the entire film. Like, this guy goes from being a space Nazi to a state rebel in a span of, like, five minutes. Just because he wants to meet Trava in a race for, like, some reason. I, like, apparently they have some kind of growth, but they never do it, like, too much detail on that because I guess the film didn't really care enough. Uh, but anyway, Derek brings, like, the exact level of goofiness to the performance that that kind of implies. And, um, since at this point the man's voice, like, over a dozen Digimon characters, it kind of goes without saying that he's pretty good at doing, like, really wacky character voices. And I appreciate that he goes all that he goes full into giving this guy like the most over-the-top whiny voice imaginable. And it sounds like he's just simultaneously crying and screaming literally every time he speaks, which was really funny to me. And like I have no idea how Derek managed to pull that off and how destroying his vocal cords, but God bless him, because you can tell that he was having a lot of fun with this. And uh, even for a I guess a former space Nazi, this character is like so impossible to take seriously that it's kind of hard to not have fun with it. Uh, I do kind of wish we learned what happened to him after the race, because they don't really show what happens after the race for some reason. And I kind of imagine his bosses weren't very happy with him going AWOL, but, uh... I'd personally just like to believe he just kind of rode off into the sunset somewhere, and he's, like, chasing down police sirens or something. 
And, uh, speaking of his bosses, I guess we should talk about them. Uh, we have our... In our next group, we have, I guess, the closest things this film has to antagonists. Uh, because who in this film can he really take seriously, honestly? Uh, we have three of the leaders from Robo World, aka Space Nazis, because again, why the heck not? Uh, specifically, we have the Secretary of Defense, Titan, who's, uh, whose role is uh, pretty much right there in the title. We have Robo World's President, who is also more or less what the title implies. And uh, we have Colonel Volton, a military leader who's uh, very determined to keep his men in line and, you know, get the red line racers off his dang planet at pretty much all costs. Uh, so playing Titan, we have Doug Erholtz. Uh, for War World's president, we have one David Lodge. And for Colonel Volton, we have Taylor Henry. Uh, Doug Erholtz has handled such characters as TK from Digimon Adventure Zero Two. Uh, Kadif Archibald L. Malloy from Fate Zero, and Asimus Aratobi from the Naruto franchise. Uh, David Lodge, you'll know for such characters as the first voice of Kenpachi Zaraki from Bleach, uh, Jiraiya from the Naruto franchise, and Lord Nene from Blue Dragon. Uh, lastly, Taylor Henry is yet another actor who you'll primarily know by another name, uh, but has done such roles as Skull Knight from Berserk 2016, Metal Knight from One Punch Man, and Gyuki from Neuro Rise of the Yokai Clan. Uh, so, did you have any thoughts on these three fine individuals who did nothing wrong, technically? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I mean like, I, I know, they were just invaded, they were just defending their home, right? I mean, like, it's almost unfair to call them Nazis, they were just doing what they... <laughs> I mean, it doesn't help that they... I mean, I don't know, it doesn't help that, like, their symbol just literally looks like a swastika. I know, yeah. <laughs> but they really did, they literally, Robo World President did nothing wrong. Hashtag Robo World President did nothing wrong. Um, well, I mean, it, aside from summoning that giant baby energy thing, like, whatever that thing was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it had, like, a, it had, like, a weird name, but I can't remember what it was. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'll remember it if I think about it for 10 seconds, but I don't remember either. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, these were all really, uh, these were all really strong performances, actually. I, I really enjoyed all of them. Uh, it, it's always fun to hear Doug Airholtz kind of do his, his slimy, almost, you know, flamboyant voice, which is, which is always a delight to hear. Especially when it's counterbalanced. You know, it's funny how Doug Airholtz can go from, like, the really, like, most uh, flowy kind of, you know, uh, like, I guess, uh, camp voice to, like, a totally serious, like, uh, you know, gritty, like, gruntled voice. I really like that about him. Um, and the Secretary of Defense Titan, it, it was kind of nice. Uh, he was a lot of funny. Uh, I, I just... I just liked how he retained a cool head through everything. It was really funny. Uh, and then you've got on the opposite spectrum, Colonel Volton, who's played by the awesome ta uh, Taylor Henry. Uh, Colonel Volton was just a delight, and the fact that he was just so over the top and so, like, just, just like, pumped to do whatever he had to do was just so much fun. And then you've got the Robo World president, played by David Lodge, who was also fun, and... David Lodge gave such a, a commanding performance, like, like really, 
Like, like I, I think when you have a character like that, you need someone who can command a room, and I think David Lodge did that fantastically. Um, like, I'm trying to think of really something to say. I want to find out what the name of that, that creature was. Oh, oh, it's, oh, it's funny. I actually did literally remember it right as you started talking. It was called, yeah. it was called Fucky Boy. <laughs> Fucky Boy? What? Yes, it was, yes, it was literally called Fucky Boy. Funky Boy. That's it. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and David Lodge got to say a line that was something to the akin of, we must, like, we must now bomb Funky Boy or something like that. And I was just like, that is a line that has been said in this film. There, I think it was like literally a lot of lines of, we have to bomb and we don't want him to suffer too much. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We don't want Funky Boy to suffer too much or something like that. And it was just... I was just like, well, that's a line that's been said in this film, and that kind of sums up the whole movie right there. Um, yeah, they were all great. They, they were all so much fun to listen to. I actually, every time they were on screen, I was actually happy. I was like, oh, good, it's more of these guys. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I also had a lot of fun with these guys. Um, so I think when Duggar holds as a secretary, since he sort of had the least to do of these three, uh... I really enjoyed him. Like you were saying, Doug has a really like good snooty villain voice, and uh, he generally does that kind of character pretty well. And uh, while this one didn't really have too much to do aside from giving us a case of exposition and you know, telling his boss how much everything's gone wrong, uh, you can still tell Doug was having a lot of fun with it, and he smoked sense of confidence in his voice even as things continue to spiral downhill for these guys. It definitely made him a lot more entertaining than he, than he otherwise might have been, so I really appreciated that. Um, as for David Laws as the Fuhrer, I mean President here, uh, he was a lot of fun to listen to. And uh, it's really nice to talk about David Laws since he's kind of more or less, more or less left the anime scene these days. Uh, well, the President here uh, definitely wants to rain down death and destruction on all these racers invading his planet. Which is admittedly uh, pretty understandable to get pissed about since, you know, uh, these guys are technically invading his whole world. <laughs> uh, so, uh, David's voice combined with the great mixing to, you know, help make his tone sound more robotic uh, really helps to sell this guy as a kind of obvious villain who wouldn't hesitate to mow down everyone in his way. Uh, but unfortunately for this guy, he's pretty much in the wrong movie, so instead basically everything goes wrong for him. And uh, much like with Derek Stephen Prince and the Runaway Space Nazi, uh, David plays this guy so over the top that it's virtually impossible to take him seriously, and that actually helps him make the performance sound all the more effective and hilarious. And uh, David's delivery and how this guy reacted to just everything going increasingly wrong for him and, you know, having basically all his country's secrets exposed in the end, you know, I almost felt really sorry for the guy in the end. Okay, uh, so the big standout here, though, was definitely Taylor Henry as Colonel Bolton. Uh, because, you know, who doesn't love Taylor Henry? Uh, the man has a very big, booming voice, and he uses it to fill this space Nazi with as much swagger as possible, because Bolton here very clearly thinks he's hot stuff, and he even has a horn that looks like a pompadour. Like, like I seriously thought it was a pompadour for, like, the first five scenes he was in. It took me a while to realize it was a horn. It's just a very weird design. Uh, but uh, definitely, in the early parts of the... There he is, right there in the background. No, sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, so in the early parts of the film, Taylor plays Voltan as, you know, being very confident and in control as he works to get rid of all these pesky racers. And uh, he gives 
uh, the colonel a bit of an edge that paints a guy as somebody you definitely wouldn't want to cross, which uh, made me think that he was going to be like a really big antagonist. And uh, while he is kind of sort of an antagonist, uh, like the rest of these space Nazis, things kind of go out of control for him very quickly. And uh, between one of his subordinates running a wall and, you know, a deadly bioweapon getting ready to destroy the populace, this guy just really can't catch a break. And uh, even if things spiral down for him, you can still feel Taylor just trying to maintain a sense of calm and his performance. Uh, but in the end, it's just too much, so he ends up fusing with a giant tentacle monster to take on the bioweapon. Because again, what even is this Oh movie? god, I forgot that! <laughs> Uh, surprisingly though, even when he becomes part kaiju, Taylor just somehow never manages to delve into total ham, which, uh, kind of- There is so much that happens in this movie! <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> uh, it kind of surprised me that he didn't to go total ham once he w turned into a kaiju, but, uh, he still sounded like he was having a lot of fun with this. And I was definitely very entertained. Uh, my only complaint, though, actually has nothing to do with him and more to complain with Bolton's actual fate in the movie because, well, we never really see him again after he becomes part Kaiju. Like, you see him in the middle of fighting Funky Boy and then he's just kind of gone and the climax is just something else entirely. Like, I mean, again, this isn't like a big complaint because, again, this isn't really the kind of movie you come to for the plot. And the final sequence is so cool that's kind of really hard to care about those sort of details, but... It does just feel like a case of, like, maybe this movie was trying to juggle too many things at once. And so, I guess with that, we're good to move into, like, the actual focus of the film, which is our four main characters. For the first half of our heroes, well, if you could call them that, we have Old Man Mole, who serves as JP's chief mechanic, and Frisbee, another skilled mechanic who is a childhood friend of JP's and has connections to the Mafia. Uh, playing Old Man Mole, we have Steve Kramer, and playing Frisbee, we have one Liam O'Brien. Which I'm kind of surprised they use their real names, but, you know. And, I mean, I'm not surprised by Steve Kramer, because Steve Kramer's in everything. Liam O'Brien is a little surprising, but I guess this was technically before he primarily moved on to Western animation, so... Yeah, this is, might have been right before he unionized. Yeah. So... Yeah, so, uh, Steve Kramer has played such characters as, uh... Metal Mogabet from Moggy, The Kingdom of Magic, uh, Wiseman from the Viz Media Redub of Sailor Moon R, and the third Okake from Naruto. Uh, Liam O'Brien has played such characters as Dr. Kenzo Tenba from Monster, Yuri Petrov, aka Lunatic from Tiger and Buddy, and Loy Asplund from the Code Geass franchise. Boy, I know I did not spell that last name correctly. <laughs> uh, so, do you have any notes on these two? Um, well, okay. This is where I get into my point that I was making earlier, is the fact that here we have an old alien man with, like, four arms and four legs, and we have Frisbee, who's basically an alien troll, who is also kind of a troll, uh, and, um, basically, we have two performances here that are very grounded that feel like two real people having real conversations in spite of the fact that they are playing two types of people who don't actually exist. Um, and I think that... <clears throat> excuse me. I think that is a statement to the performances of Liam O'Brien and Steve Kramer. I think we've got two very talented actors here 
who know their craft very well and are able to construct performances that feel real, that feel like characters, even though there's not a lot of character development, if at all, in this film, they still feel like people. They still feel like characters. And I think a lot of that has to do with the performances of Steve Kramer and Liam O'Brien. They play off of each other extremely well in this film. You've got Mole, who's kind of an old, jaded man who has learned his craft for a long time and he doesn't like to take too many chances. And then you've got Frisbee, who's, uh, you know, he's a younger guy. You know, he's not, he's not too, he's not necessarily a bad guy, but he's willing to take more chances and he's willing to do some not too great things to kind of get where he needs to go. But he cares about JP as a friend enough that he's not going to do anything too sinister. And I think that's one of the strengths of this film, and specifically this dub, is the fact that in spite of Frisbee and Old Man Mole being absolutely ridiculous, they feel real. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is sort of interesting you said, like, Frisbee didn't, you know, ultimately do too much to harm JP. Like, he blew up his car at the beginning of the movie. Like, that could have killed him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but we don't really know the rules of life and death in this series, honestly. Okay, I mean, I guess that is fair, but still. I mean, he did live, so maybe people just live in explosions in this universe. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I guess that is just one of those things you don't think about too much, but. Yeah. Uh, and, and Lord knows, they were probably making this movie scene by scene, honestly. Um, yeah, so. uh, definitely. I mean, this was probably like a Gurren Lagan kind of production where they just were like, fuck it, just do this, it'll be fine. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, for me, uh, Steve Kramer is another name I'm kind of surprised we haven't talked about too much on this show because uh, he's pretty much the default guy that Kelly does for playing cracky old men, and uh, this role is definitely him very much in his element. Uh, Steve plays Mole as a kind of guy who's, you know, clearly too old to be putting up on any of this. And he gives him a very kind of no-nonsense tone that makes him feel like he's, you know, the only adult in the room whenever he's dealing with JP or Frisbee. Uh, especially Frisbee, since he kind of makes it very clear that he doesn't trust him that much. And uh, Steve makes his uh, general disdain for the guy pretty clear in his tone. And at the same time, as we've already established, this isn't that serious of a movie, so... Uh, Seems he can still get a little wacky with the character from time to time, like that one. I like that one bit where he mentioned that even at his age, he's still a little bit of a horror dog, which is that's a lie, I guess. Uh, or his delivery when he straight up blows a monster's head off with a shotgun, which was also a scene that happened. Uh, speaking of that bit, <laughs> uh, speaking of that bit, while Mo, you know, very clearly doesn't like frisbee for the majority of the film. I thought it was pretty cool that when the chips were down, he still came to Bill about it, and I thought that was I thought that was kind of touching in its own weird way. I mean, like, kind of weird that he's trying to murder the guy, but again, you know, don't think about that too hard. <laughs> uh, between the two, though, I have to say the bigger standout for me was probably Liam O'Brien as Frisbee, because, uh, like with David Laws, he's not on ABC and anime a lot these days, so it's always kind of nice to kick back and, you know... It's about the times where he was basically in everything, including this. Uh, so a lot of Liam O'Brien's anime roles tend to be snobby villains, psychos, or tragic anime boys who travel down an ever-increasing spiral of despair, and looking at you, Karia and Temba. Uh, so here you can play a character, you know, more akin to a monster, where it's kind of an interesting change of pace. 
And I kind of like how he added a little bit of edge to his voice to make this guy seem like he was, you know, really doing his best to sound like a, sound like a quote-unquote hardened criminal, but uh, he didn't lead too much into the stereotype, you know, by giving him a New York accent or something. Like, that probably would have been a little bit too silly. Uh, so, in the beginning of the film, Frisbee kind of comes off as being, you know, very much all business and very aloof, which is kind of reflected in Lee's performance. Uh, since he played the guy as kind of being, you know, the sort of person who's convinced he's hot stuff and, you know, clearly too classy for the likes of JP and Lowell. Uh, but as we learn over the course of the film, while he kind of acts a little bit of dismissive of JP in the beginning, he very clearly cares about him. And uh, we eventually learn this is because he feels a little bit guilty over the fact that JP only has a criminal record because of trying to help him out when he got involved with the mob, which uh, kind of makes you wonder why this guy is so involved with the mob, but again, don't think about that too hard. Uh, so, while we don't get to see too much of that guilt expressed directly in Lee's performance, uh, you do hear a bit of it when he decides to go get some wishes of his boss because, you know, he wants to see JP win for a change. And uh, it made me feel for that a little bit in the end. Uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't say this was exactly a very typical role for Liam O'Brien, but uh, he did a very solid job in it, and I very much enjoyed both these characters. They were a lot of fun. And uh, with that, I guess we're good yeah. to move on to our leads. Uh, our two leads would be one, uh, Joshua Pughead, better known as Sweet JP, and uh, Santa C. McLaurin. Uh, JP is a hot-blooded racer who lives for the thrill of a race and uh, only gets at the red line because two of the other racers bow out at the last second because, again, who really wants to, you know, get into the crosshairs of space Nazis? Uh, while Sadashi is a popular racer who initially beats JP at the race for yellow line and qualifies for a red line where the two of them end up crossing paths again. Uh, so playing Sadashi, we have one Michelle Ruff who has played such characters as Rukia from Bleach, Yatsutoru from Erased, Monica Mukaido from Alone in the Sea, and Fuzuko Mine in basically every non-Funimation licensed incarnation of the loop on the third, as well as the woman called Fuzuko Mine. Yeah, I was going to say, except for the last one that was licensed by Funimation. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Patrick Seitz, you'll know for such characters as Jiren from Dragon Ball Super, uh, Pideon from Gargantia on a Virtuous Planet, Frankie from One Piece, and good old Dio Brando from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. So, uh, what were your thoughts on these two? It's Dio and Fujiko. How can you complain? <laughs> um, no, but in all seriousness, I loved both their performances, and these are my second examples of how human the characters could feel in spite of the larger-than-life world that they were in. And I like... First of all, Patrick Seitz doesn't get to play, like, normal guys a lot. So, it was kind of nice to see him be able to play a very down-to-earth, just normal dude. Because a lot of his performances lately, as, as great as they are, they haven't let him just be kind of himself. So, it was kind of cool to be able to hear him like this. And kind of the same with Michelle Ruff. Uh, as Sanoshi, like, Sanoshi is pretty normal she's she's a pretty normal girl you know she has uh you know normal reactions to things and it you know just it just happens that surrounding these people is their larger than life ambitions and like what they want to do and how they go about it um 
I'm trying to think of uh, where else I can go with this. Um, it was kind of fun to see when Sunashi is in her own apartment and she's just kind of watching the other contestants, like them being shown off. And like her commentary over it was a pretty fun scene. And it was just nice, like the, the kind of quips that uh, Michelle Ruff got to say throughout the whole thing. Um, for JP, like for Sykes' performance as JP, uh, I, I just liked his character. Like, he, he came across as very likable and, and down-to-earth and just, like, I don't know. Like, it, it's it's sort of hard to, to explain, but, like, the one of the first scenes we really get to know him is when he's ready to give up. And that's kind of interesting. Because you, you, don't, you don't see a lot of main characters, especially in anime... The first scene that they're in is them wanting to give up. And sort of through that, he sort of progresses and he kind of gets to where he wants to be. And I like that. And I like the fact that we kind of see Sites kind of give JP that where he sort of... You know, Sites' first real performance as JP was him sitting on a, a stretcher in a body cast. Basically just depressed and he's finally given a second chance to do what he wants, and it gives him the fire and the motivation to keep going. And, um... It was even more interesting in the flashbacks when you see a young, even younger JP, who's more innocent and more vulnerable, uh, against uh, Sanoshi, who's actually kind of more tight... Like, like uh, kind of more tightly wound when she was younger than she is now. And the fact that this... The kind of the big scene they have together when they're kids comes back uh, at the end of the movie and I liked that and I I liked how the actors kind of let their characters grow and let them just not feel the need to, to really be anything else but themselves so that's my thoughts yeah I, I really like that too and um, for me I'll start with Michelle Ruff and um, and Michelle's made a pretty good name for herself playing, you know, Sultry Woman since, you know, she's the voice of Fujiko Mine. And uh, while Sanity obviously isn't anywhere close to that particular archetype, uh, Michelle does bring, like, a little bit of sex, sex appeal to her general tone, I thought. And I thought that kind of matches with how fan service heavy that character design was clearly supposed to be. Like, I mean, like, that whole, like, that whole scene you mentioned where she's kind of sarcastically talking about the other races, she was completely naked in that scene, so... Again, that tells you the kind of movie this is. Right. <laughs> but I do like the fact that it's just kind of her just hanging out in her apartment. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, think, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Also, every time I look at her, I just think to myself, there's got to be some Jolie Cujo inspiration there. Oh, uh, probably. On it. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, though, uh, Sadashi also kind of comes off as, like, a little bit of a tomboy since he's, you know, clearly into raising and not much else, and... I like that Michelle has, like, a little bit of boyish charger, voice at that's that personality, and does say without leaning too much into any butch stereotypes, which I can definitely appreciate. And I also really liked her delivery during the flashback to her and JP's childhood, and that whole uh, bit where she's pulling her car out of the junk pile because she can't really afford to give up halfway through. And uh, that more or less, that pretty much more or less tells you everything you need to know about the character and how determined she is to reach the finish line. And, uh, admittedly, since she isn't, like, super deep, since, again, this isn't really that kind of film, but I liked how well Michelle got that aspect of, across, as well as all the other parts of her personality, and 
That's if you're really able to buy through performance very easily, and I thought it was pretty enjoyable. Uh, as for Patrick Sykes and JP, uh, Lester is saying these days he's mostly known for the Greffer characters he plays, and of course, you know, Dio. Uh, but he's played his share of younger guys, and he knows how to lay on some charm when he needs to. Okay, so it's a good thing too, because between his car Pompadour and his crazy, crazy racing skills, and JP is definitely a character who more or less bleeds cool and have good voice and at any point didn't carry off the same level of, level of coolness would have probably broken the illusion a little bit, so I'm definitely glad that Patrick's performance more or less delivered on the level of energy required here. And uh, he does a good job in making JP sound, you know, very smooth and silk at basically all times, and also, you know, just very laid back. And, uh, and, he, and I also really just like the level of confidence in his voice because uh, he just sells the guy that he just sells him as the kind of guy who just knows exactly what he wants to do and is just extremely confident in himself, and I really appreciated that. And uh, it's also just as much fun whenever he gets to go like really heavy in the races, and it's a level of intensity and pure adrenaline in Patrick's voice as JP's like literally blazing towards the finish line was really fun, especially just during that whole crazy climax. Uh, but uh, great as Patrick was with the fantastics of JP's characters, though he's just as effective during like the few quiet moments he gets. Uh, like a lot of his interactions with Sanashi whenever he goes over their path together, and uh, those scenes felt just as believable as JP's louder ones, and uh, it definitely made the film a lot more. Well, I guess it gave the film a little bit of nuance in, you know, beneath all the insanity, and that was pretty cool. And, uh, like you were saying, I really like a lot of JP's Odyssey scenes together. I thought the chemistry between uh, the characters and their performances, respectively, worked pretty well. And it definitely helped to make the climax of the film work pretty, work a lot better than it could have otherwise had. So I thought that worked out pretty nicely. Um, so yeah, all in all, I think these performances were kind of a blast. And uh, for Patrick Sykes in particular, it kind of made me wonder what it would have been like if Patrick Sykes had been cast in, as Dandy in Space Dandy instead of Vincent Sinclair. I mean, great, I mean, great that I love the Sinclair's fans, but it's just one of those things where you kind of wonder. And uh, it didn't help that both these dudes are space travelers with Pompadours, so, like, that's a thing. So it just kind of makes me wonder if maybe those two are just distantly related somehow. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I mean, like, I could, like, I could, yeah. totally, like, like, I could totally buy that those two would be, like, cousins or something, or at the very least, they just go out and buy a beer together. Like, JP seems like the kind of guy who would definitely hang out with boobies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was trying to see if, like, the creator of uh, Space Dandy kind of worked on... Uh, I know that I know that uh, Shinichi Watanabe kind of directed Space Dandy, but, you know. Yeah, well, there were a lot of animators on this movie, and there were a lot of animators on Space Dandy, so who knows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with that, I guess we're good to move into final thoughts. Yeah. Pretty much everything I've need I felt I needed to say I've already said. Uh, I, I just, the one thing I really like about this dub is just how real it felt in spite, like, there was a rawness to it that I really liked in spite of the fact that we were watching this flashy, over-the-top, like, you know, experiment and, and excessiveness, basically. Um, and I, I just, I, I really liked all the casting. I know that I've stated that a lot of the characters weren't really in the movie all that much, 
And that's okay, because the two main characters we had and the two tertiary characters that we had were a lot of fun. Like, they, they, they were characters that were enjoyable to, like, watch and, and just be a part of their story. And I think all the actors did a great job and, and made it, like, easy to, like, follow them and not feel like you didn't want to be a part of their story. And... I think all the, you know, the, the not-so-essential characters were a lot of fun to watch, too. Maybe not as memorable, but they were still they were still fun, and they still added a lot of, like, energy to the film. So, not that I really needed all that much, honestly. Um, but, yeah. That's kind of my final thoughts. Okay, uh, as for me, um... So, like I said a little earlier, I never get, quite got the right to finishing this movie before this podcast... Um, and it's kind of a shame because this is a really fun movie. And it's shot full of adrenaline, great music, and some really absolutely out-of-this-world animation highlights. Like, we haven't talked too much about this film's animation, but it's like, you will be floored. This thing looks amazing. Like, you could totally believe this thing took a decade to make because there's just so much packed into every frame of this movie, and I really feel sorry for Madhouse because this probably did bankrupt them. So... <laughs> I mean, but I mean, but I guess if you're gonna go out in a blaze of glory, this is a pretty. This is definitely the one you would want to go out on. So, uh, it's pretty cool, and um, yeah, uh, there's definitely so much going into this film that I almost had a hard time believing it got made at all. But um, while it's a little bit light in terms of actual plot, it's just it's a lot of fun to watch, and uh, basically any complaints I could make about the film would be more nitpicks and like any actual flaws because. Again, this is just a sort of film you come to for how fun it is, and a lot of that high energy is just matched by an incredibly strong dub, uh, packed full of a lot of crazy and occasionally grounded performances, and some pretty fun writing. Uh, by now, I'm sure that basically almost everyone has seen this thing at least once, but if you haven't, I definitely recommend fixing that as soon as possible, because if you're in the mood for some perfect popcorn entertainment, I can think of a few things animated or otherwise that will fit your needs quite as well as this does. Like, this really is, it's like the perfect popcorn movie. And, uh, with that, I guess we're good. Uh, if you would like to watch Red Lion, uh, currently, to do so, you will actually have to pony up for that. Um, I'm... Yeah, because it's... I saw it on Tubi, but apparently it's leaving Tubi pretty soon. Uh, so... Yeah, uh, you can watch it on YouTube. You can rent it on YouTube for, like, two bucks if you want to. Uh, it is on Tubi TV at the moment, but I don't know how long that's going to last. And, uh, you can, I'm pretty sure you can still buy it in retail, on online retailers. I don't think manga has let those Blu-rays expire yet. And I'm pretty sure you can find them for like $20 or something, or less than that. So, um, yeah, definitely pick this up if you get the chance. It's, it's definitely a lot of fun. Uh, so, before we leave tonight, is there anything you want to plug real fast? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, I've gotten back to YouTube video making. Uh, I'm actually at a place where I'm kind of happy with the production that I'm doing right now. Uh, my last one was a look at Alexander Aja's Cobra movie, which I'm particularly proud of. Uh, it's one of my most in-depth videos so far. Uh, but my next one, uh, I actually just kind of revealed it uh, during the the previous episode we did for the, um, oh my god, I'm oh, Fairy God. Yeah, it was the Fairy God episode. Um, where I am currently working on 
a video about the artistic influences of Hirohiko Araki. Um, and you can basically follow me on Twitter, at LackTheWatcher. You can find pretty much links to everything else I do there. Uh, and just look up for my YouTube, LiamAC, slash LackTheWatcher, and you'll find everything you need to know about me. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those have a cool project, so definitely check those out whenever you get around to making them. Yeah, it's it's actually, the scripting is almost done. So, huh. yep. Cool. Uh, as for me, uh, you can find me on Twitter, um, Chitsuru Infinity at Dub Talk or at Divine Nega, uh, where I'll usually just, you know, be talking about anime, cartoons, or video games, or whatever. Uh, you can also find me on my blog, Animation Infinity, where I'll occasionally write things. I'm not writing up, I'm not doing Reddit for anything this season. Next season, I'm debating because there's a few things I'm kind of interested in, but I guess we'll see how that goes. Um, okay, and, uh, uh, okay, and as for us in general, we're the Dub Talk Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, uh, Twitch, um, tw- Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, uh, Instagram, you know, all the internet places. Uh, we also have a Ko-fi page where you can donate to us if you need to, so, uh, you know, help us out if you ever feel like doing that. And, uh, with that, I guess we're... Uh, get to go for tonight. So, uh, thanks for hanging out with me, Wack. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, until next time, we'll talk a lot, my friends, and, uh, yeah. have a good night. Yeah, okay. Take care, everybody. I am incomplete. You are the only one for me. Barely spoken.